The Complexity of Kindness, Part 3.1. I'm splitting this up into two episodes. I've developed a heuristic that as a situation increases in complexity, that the use of kindness in that situation should also increase in its complexity. Such that the the operator of kindness should use increased awareness of the outcomes that evolve from their kind act and should be prepared to assume increased responsibility for its outcomes, even those outcomes that are unanticipated. An example of this is driving a car under the influence of kindness. There are established rules of the road. These rules are established to maintain order and optimize safety for those who choose to use the roads. However, reckless driving is not exclusive to the selfish. Anyone who has witnessed what is referred to as a wave accident can testify that road kindness can be just as harmful as road rage. Two years ago, I had a discussion with my older brother, Brian. Our topic of discussion was kindness. Brian shared the following event with me that he had witnessed just a short time before. It was a summertime afternoon when Brian was driving down a busy road in Salt Lake County, Utah. A portion of the boulevard was under construction. All but one lane was coned off, and so the traffic was moving at a slow pace. At one point, Brian noted that a vehicle from oncoming traffic had been stopped in the turning lane for quite some time. It was attempting to make a left turn across the construction slowed traffic that Brian was a part of. Now the car just in front of Brian halted, creating a passage for the signaling car to drive through. The driver of that halted car began to wave the turning motorist into and through the created passage. His wave motion indicated that he'd verified all lanes were clear for the turning car who advanced through. At this point, Brian's slightly elevated vantage point in his regular-sized SUV granted him foresight of what was about to occur. Though not obvious, the construction cones had halted about 10 car lanes behind Brian's position, leaving an open lane to the right of the slowed traffic for about 30 yards. A driver behind them arrived at this opening and decided to pull into the right lane. That car began accelerating through the open roadway. Brian had taken note of this accelerating car in his side view mirror. By seeing the encouraging wave, Brian quickly inferred that the driver in the car just ahead of him had either neglected to check his own mirrors or had not realized a car was now moving down the adjacent lane at speed. Brian began to blare his car horn as a warning for all drivers around to take caution. However, 
The driver in front of him continued to wave, and the turning car started to move forward, passing in front of the stop driver and across that remaining lane. Before completing its passage, the crossing car was sideswiped by the previously mentioned vehicle driving at regular speed down the right lane of the boulevard. The result was a collision of significant impact. As jarring as the impact of the collision was, what happened next shocked Brian more than the sights and sounds of the cars colliding. He watched the driver in front of him, the one who had halted at his own inconvenience, the one who, unlike 20 other drivers before him, created passage for the crossing vehicle, the individual who graciously waved the turning car through the oncoming lanes. This driver began to slowly move his car forward. As he did so, he turned his head so that he could eye the wreckage to the right of his own vehicle intently. And then, he began to slowly turn his head back until he was again staring out his own windshield as if nothing had happened. That kind driver then accelerated down the boulevard, increasing his speed steadily until he passed out of sight beyond the next traffic light a quarter mile down the road. This event witnessed by my brother is a good example showing that acts of kindness, just like all other acts, occur as part of a complex continuum. They are just as subject to consequences as all other events in our lives. Yet, when compared to acts that occur from neutral intent, our justification seems to get a bit fuzzy when it comes to acts of kindness. We often write off costs that accompany kindness with statements like, he meant well, or it's, it's the thought that counts. There's even times we'll go out of our own way to maintain the facade that a costly act of kindness has actually done some good just to prevent others from comprehending the actual impact of their behavior. As a familiar comical theatrical example, let me remind you of a scene from the movie A Christmas Story. If you remember, Ralphie receives a gift from his aunt that makes him look like a deranged Easter bunny. Yet, his mother patronizingly tries to convince Ralphie of its value, stating that the gift is one of the most precious things she's ever seen. Ralphie's voiceover simultaneously calculates the gift's real-life liability as a source of social ridicule amongst his peers at school. As the dialogue continues, Ralphie's old man prods his wife enough so that she finally concedes that Ralphie does, in fact, look like a pink nightmare. But even then... She still continues to insist that he wear the outfit whenever their Aunt Clara visits, so as to continue the delusion that Ralphie appreciates being mistaken for a four-year-old girl. Now, of course, this scene is just theatrics. But honestly, theatrics is based on many realities. It's a darn good example of how many people I know would react under similar circumstances. People who prefer kindness to a paranormal degree. My friend, Denise, shared a first-rate metaphor that illustrates how our culture sometimes enables and encourages the overzealously kind. It goes something like this. There are those individuals who would walk an old lady across the street, even when that old lady never wanted to cross the street in the first place. I remember hearing her make that statement and thinking how inspired it was. <laughs> so simple. So true. And then realizing, after some thought, 
that there are those individuals who, in the role of the old lady, would not say a word, who silence out of kindness would almost ensure that the overzealous helper repeat the same or similar mistake in the future. I'm positive that this metaphor resonates with many. And I'm also positive that there are some with whom it doesn't. Though few will ever admit it, in the back of many minds lurks the idea that kindness trumps common sense. For both characters, the old woman and the helper, there are variables that contribute to what may seem like obvious individual rational choices. The biggest problem here is a lack of candor and communication. Lack of communication is commonly a factor in attempts to simulate kindness. Therefore, I would include proper communication as a significant kindness variable. There are always multiple variables involved in the complexity of any given equation of kindness. To attempt to address every factor would be futile. However, there are several factors that rank high enough in the hierarchy of defining kindness as a virtue that such factors should be emphasized. For the first few factors, we're going to use Aristotle. We discussed his discourse on the virtue of kindness in a prior kindness episode. His definition and outline of kindness is by far the most comprehensive and specific of those I've come across. But more than that, his is the only description of kindness that has specific parameters by which an act could be determined to be included or excluded from the term. Now, a little insert here for proper credit. The translation I refer to of Aristotle's rhetoric is that of George A. Kennedy's. It's considered by many to be the gold standard translation of the work. I'll reference some of Dr. Kennedy's commentary, one here in particular. The word that Kennedy and nearly every other translator translates into kindness is the Greek word charis. Kennedy gives the following explanation on charis as it applies in this translation. Quote, Charis has a number of meanings in Greek. Kindliness, benevolence, goodwill, a favor, gratitude, grace. Kennedy continues, Aristotle's definition makes it clear that he is speaking here about an altruistic feeling of kindness or benevolence that at a particular time gratuitously moves a person to do something for another. Close quote. Aristotle defines charis, translated to kindness, as, quote, a service to one in need, not in return for anything, nor that the one rendering the service may get anything, but only as a something for the recipient, close quote. He further outlines to whom, why, and under what conditions kindness is shown. Of those three, I'll actually address two together because they are intertwined. To whom and under what circumstances kindness is shown. Aristotle establishes that for a person to be shown kindness, that person must have a qualifying need. He states that kindness occurs when the recipient, quote, is either greatly in need or in need of what is great and difficult to get or in times of crisis. He continues describing needs. Needs or desires, especially those accompanied with pain because of something not present. Longings for things felt in sufferings of the body and in times of danger. For one who is in danger and one who is in pain, longs. 
Thus, those who stand by somebody in poverty and those in exile exhibit caris, this great kindness, even if their services are small because of the greatness of the need and their having shown kindliness at the opportune time. Close quote. Aristotle understood that the level of kindness increased if the person in need were to have suffered an injury or were in danger as it affected their level of need. This is an important point to remember as it parallels the conditions of a parable to which I'll shortly reference. A parable where Christ responds to the question, Who is my neighbor? Now, I may be alone here, but I actually truly appreciate Aristotle's first limitation. The limitation actually protects kindness and ensures the virtue is reserved for acts that offset human need. More specifically, acts that offset human suffering. Such a definition elevates kindness onto a virtuous level as it should be, because kindness as a virtue should be held to a higher standard than our run-of-the-mill customary good human acts. These customary acts are acts that are nice and should be commended. Yet, they lack the virtue of fulfilling human necessity as kindness does. So to reiterate, kindness is best qualified when shown to an individual whose need is associated with suffering and in times of danger. All right, Aristotle's second parameter, the why of kindness. In his remarks, Aristotle seems to deem this as the area where most false claims to kindness occur. The why of kindness indicates the motivation behind those who provide help to those in need. Knowing the tendency for people to exaggerate their benevolent nature, Aristotle encouraged his students to look for such weaknesses in the arguments of their opponents. He instructs, quote, We can also see how to eliminate the idea of kindness and make our opponents appear unkind. Close quote. This reveals not only that Aristotle understood the persuasive nature of claiming kindness, but that he also understood the disproportionate damage to an opponent's character should it be shown that they are not kind. He describes those who do not qualify for kindness as 1. Those who perform a service for their own advantage. I would include in this category, for adults particularly, as this is more actually a tool for teaching children the primary aspects of kindness. But again, I would include in this category situations in which a helper performs a nice act more because they are motivated by the subjective emotional experience they incur than the actual productivity of the act fulfills as a requisite need. Two, those whose act was accidental. Three, those whose act was performed under constraint, as in, um, I'm only kind to you because my mom told me I had to be. Four, those who instead of doing a favor are returning a favor. And five, those who knowingly render a service of little value. It seems the biggest issue in claiming kindness in 4th century BC was the same as it is today claims to kindness when the motives actually disqualify it. The difference between then and now being that in today's day and age, we don't have an Aristotle equivalent educating our youth about the qualifications for kindness. In fact, our public education system, our colleges, our universities 
seem to be doing just the opposite. It's actually something we'll get to a little bit more in the next episode when we discuss counterfeit kindness and virtuous signaling. But just to mention here, with the proliferation of safe spaces and trigger warnings, our education system, as well as our colleges and universities, are probably the greatest propagators of what would appropriately be called kindness doublespeak. Corrupting the meaning of kindness in the minds of each generation until its virtue has become mutilated, twisted, reshaped into a tool of social manipulation, a tool we call virtue signaling. All right, at this point, having taken in Aristotle's parameters for the virtue of kindness, I'll actually offer several additional parameters of my own. One, Time. Two, responsibility. Three, courage. And four, sacrifice. The presence of these traits elevates a benevolent act into something of far more value. They give an act towards another person meaningful functionality as it serves that individual's mental, physical, and spiritual well being. Because kindness, genuine kindness in its virtuous form, is functional. It's productive. Kindness is far more a commitment to provide another what is needed for their ultimate potential than it is merely satisfying that person's desires. For my first parameter, I offer this. Kindness requires a time commitment. Time is the simplest of my four parameters. Kind of. The other three parameters actually utilize time as part of their factor. Outside of time, those parameters could not exist. And by definition, or at least by my definition, neither could kindness. The idea is simply that an act worthy of the virtue of kindness is an act one would be willing to defend for its goodness for all time. Or... Because we all make mistakes, even when we have good intentions. If circumstances change over time and you become aware that a kindly intended act was wrong or hurtful, in that case, if your act was truly kind, you, the helper, would quickly and willingly remedy the act. And, if appropriate, you would sincerely apologize for the wrong or hurt that it caused. In doing so, the original act not only retains its kind heartedness, but it becomes bolstered by the proof that the act was not time-limited, that it was not done out of convenience, or that it was not performed out of self-interest. A truly kind act should have a value worthy of praise for all time. Number two, responsibility. Now, responsibility is not often associated with kindness. Probably because kindness is generally thought of as an in-the-moment type of act. Responsibility implies insightful forethought, a resolve to action displacing one's natural desires throughout the act, and a long-term commitment to the cause afterwards. The oft-associated spontaneity of kindness would seem to be at odds with terms of responsibility. But imagine a kind act that doesn't calculate responsibility for its outcome. It doesn't think to consider whether what it provides is ultimately productive or destructive to the recipient or to others affected by the act. A mindless 
type kindness. Now, these particular acts most often occur not because they fulfill a need for the recipient, but instead because they generate a sense of benevolence upon the giver. Oh, hi there. You seem elderly. Let me walk you across the street. Most acts that fall under this category are friendly, caring, and wholesome acts, but some are quite destructive, like my brother's example of the vehicle accident instigated by the kind, waving driver. Another good example of this mindless-type kindness is helicopter parenting, an attempt by parents to overprotect their children from negative emotional experiences, including those associated with age-appropriate responsibilities. Intervening in experiences that would otherwise build their child's character and resilience. On the website parents.com, Kate Bayless reports that the negative effects of helicopter parenting manifests itself in several aspects in the behavior of overprotected children. She states the children exhibit increased anxiety, underdeveloped coping skills, decreased confidence, and reduced self esteem. But they also exhibit underdeveloped life skills and they commonly portray a sense of entitlement. She states particularly, quote, parents who always tie shoes, clear plates, pack lunches, launder clothes, and monitor school progress, even after children are mentally and physically capable of doing the task, prevent kids from mastering these skills. So again, I propose responsibility of outcome as a trait of true kindness. Now, with time and responsibility established as parameters of kindness, I'm going to take a slight aside here where I challenge all listeners who evaluate their kind behavior over COVID. Given the now widely disseminated fact of what nearly all medical professionals and many others knew before the pandemic, including Dr. Fauci, that masking was not even close as effective as it was made out to be. That, in truth, the mask's greatest impact was its role as an emblem. Like that of the Star of David, or swastika. It was a highly visible marker that designated people of different ideological thinking, causing preemptive, inflammatory feelings between strangers on the street. Inflammatory feelings often centered around a man-made, government-manipulated, scientifically false sense of community kindness and safety. Also that, as time and studies have shown, that the vaccine was nowhere near as effective as promoted, and in many cases, worsened the impact of the virus upon certain people in the population. That goes without mentioning the many negative side effects, some even fatal, that the vaccine itself had upon otherwise healthy people. Many aggressive individuals, groups, businesses, governments, and even religious leaders were very explicit that kindness was not only earned by taking the vaccine, but also that those who did not take it were unkind, in the least making such divisive accusations by implication. Sadly, a tool of far more explicit divisiveness was commonly used. People were terminated from their place of employment for choosing not to be vaccinated. Now, friends, I'm not saying that people were, were wrong for doing what they genuinely felt was correctly kind during COVID. What I am saying is that if what you believed was kind or unkind during COVID, if you claimed kindness 
or considered others unkind based on what ultimately ended up being incorrect, unproductive, and socially harmful practices? What actions, thoughts, and apologies could you engage in to prove that your intended kindness during COVID was genuine, that it was not limited to the time or breadth of COVID, that your kindness was not provided out of personal convenience, that it was not performed out of self-interest, or that it was not to signal your own virtue, but that your COVID kindness was actually made out of a genuine lack of understanding. And honest to goodness, I am sorry. I didn't understand. I was wrong. I have learned. Statements like that will go a long way towards healing the collateral damage that social COVID had upon kindness, upon our communities, upon our country, and upon our faith in our religious leaders. All right. Counterfeit kindness type COVID addressed. And check off that box. Moving on. Courage and sacrifice, my third and fourth parameters for kindness. So courage is probably easier to associate with kindness than responsibility. It takes courage to befriend someone outside of your social comfort zone. And pushing oneself into a position of discomfort for the good of another is by definition sacrifice. Though Christ probably wasn't out of his comfort zone when he did so, his conversation with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's Well was consistently cited as an example of Christ.